Hello, and welcome to CineDrunk, the podcast where we're drunk on cinema and alcohol. Brought to you by Cinemunch.com. I'm your host, Matt, joined by Nathan. Hello. And Elizabeth. <laughs> Hi. We Come are back. continuing our top 10 countdown. If you've listened to the previous episode, we did our numbers 10 through 6. If you haven't, rewind and listen to it right. <laughs> Go to hell. Yeah. Also, if you haven't, Good it's start. weird. If you haven't, it's weird that you're listening to this one. It's a really weird place to pick up with Cinedrunk. Yeah, you're strange. Um, <laughs> These are our favorite five. So start, yeah. So starting with five, let's get into it. So we are still drinking and drunk on this bittersweet ruin of a cocktail. Emphasis and it's, on drunk, but yep. Yeah, it's delicious. Uh, <laughs> so we are counting down our favorite films of 2017. Uh, our top five. My number five, start us off, is Coco, the oh, Pixar film. He has a soul. Uh, so of delighted. course I do. I feel like right when we left the theater, I was the one that loved this movie the most. I was gutted by this film. Um, so it's, as Briz mentioned, when it, Briz, Elizabeth <laughs> is her actual name. Um, when it was your number seven? That was my number seven. Yeah, that it's friggin' gorgeous. And I. It definitely prescribes to that Pixar, like, formula of, like, a smart screenplay, which it's such a smart screenplay that works for both adults and children's and families and audiences of all ages. Chillins. (laughs) Audiences of all ages. Um, but it, it really. It just excels at that formula, and it doesn't feel like a formula. It's gorgeous to look at, and just such attention to detail, both in the script and the character work, and of course the actual animation. When they first see, I mean, the production design is amazing, and I really wish production design, like the awards bodies, would consider animated films for production design because, like, this is unreal. It's so beautiful. Um, but I love how much, yes, of course, it captures like family and family dynamics and how important family is. And, you know, it's, it's, you don't get to choose your family, but they're so, so important. Um, but how, <laughs> so being distracted by our cats, Tilda and Scout, who we call our cats our Cocos. So that works. Cocos. I call my boyfriend Coco. You do. We all love a Coco. Um, <laughs> But I love how it explores culture. Yes, this Mexican heritage and mm-hmm. the family, and it's really rooted in that. Um, one of the co-directors is of Mexican heritage, so it definitely yes. has that authenticity um, going for it. But also, there are plenty of movies about a holiday, like Christmas or Thanksgiving or whatever, um, but this is not a holiday that most of the world would even know about, and it... Or treats. fundamentally misunderstand. Right, that too, yeah. And it treats it like, so... Oh, I heard this in Spanish class. Right, and because it deals with like, the like dead the or skeleton, it seems like it's like, oh, that's the Mexican class, Halloween, but that is not yeah. at all what it is. Right. And the film doesn't ever like pander or talk down to you. It explains what the holiday is. It contextualizes it within the world of these characters. And it it deepens it. Like, there's such emotions just coursing through it. Oh my god, for sure. It's also hilarious. It's really funny. Yes. I love the character work, all the voice performances. It's cast really well. Um, that ending... <whistles> ah, I can't. I, can't, I really can't. It's similar to, like, Home Alone. Yeah. Where we're just, like, even... If I was to actually just describe the ending, I would start bawling. <laughs> yes. Which is another part of like the Pixar formula is that they get you to cry, but it's in it, they just do it so well. Yeah. It's 
I think it was Mark Harris had like a whole thing about how people complain about a movie being manipulative, but every piece of art is manipulative because it's asking sure. for a reaction. Otherwise, what's the purpose. point of doing it? And so the question is just like, with the form of manipulation, like, is it getting to a real emotion versus like the strings are playing and I'm seeing something. So I'm crying in the moment, but afterwards I can say, well, that's emotionally false. Hollow. Hollow. Yeah. yeah. But this isn't. No. At like, all. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. I love the lead voice performance. I think his name is Anthony Gonzalez. I could be wrong on that, but Great. Uh, the so good. Boy. Yeah. Um, the music, of course, really gets to you. Yeah. I love that it's so many things at once, like this caper, adventure, like <laughs> yes. gotta get back. It's a comedy. A mystery, it's, mistaken I mean, identity. Yeah. There's yeah. twists. Yeah. Art is on its sleeve. Yeah. but And it's something that, like, I mean, Pixar has excelled at this, but just emotions on its sleeve really is well-suited to animated films and that we like are okay with those emotions and mm-hmm. how they're how much they affect us when it's an animated film somehow so it's like okay yeah. right i don't i don't know what yeah. that is but but still they do it well it's one of my favorite pixars i loved it cannot wait to see it again check it out nice. Coco, wow. number five um my number oh. my number five Oh, Nathan is like petting Matt because he just found out that Matt is a real boy who has real emotions. It's really touching, <laughs> listeners. Uh, Someone just found out that his husband cares. He's part of the size of that day. Uh, my number five, which I'm guessing will probably not be that surprising to you all, to you all, all of you viewers who know me so intimately, but specifically the royal the two you of all you who saw it with me. Um, my number five is The Post. Ooh, okay. Uh, yes. I am a Spielberg sucker to a point, um, but lately some of his stuff has felt a little bit too contrived and sentimental, and I actually don't think that this film is any different, <laughs> but its particular formula of contrived is exactly what I needed and exactly what I want right now. There have been a lot of discussions, including about a certain movie that shall not really be named, but I'll name it quickly just so our listeners know what I'm talking about. A lot of people have decided that three billboards outside of Missouri is somehow the, the film of the moment and particularly the Me Too movement, which... I mean, I know, but I find particularly offensive because it's fundamentally misunderstanding that movie and sort of the moment that we live in. And I actually think that The Post is literally the movie of now. Um, Not only because we are in a crisis of our First Amendment and free press, and it is exactly that. It's a crisis. So seeing a movie about the power of the free press, especially when it comes up against the presidency, is moving and inspiring and adds like a little glimmer to hope but the film is really about a woman finding her place in a world dominated by men and in a men driven industry a male driven industry it is 100% Meryl Streep's movie it's um, Mm -hmm. for those of you who don't know it is about Kay Graham who was the owner of the Washington Post um, during the late 1960s into the 70s and extended um She inherited the paper um, by pure accident. It was her father's paper. He had left it to her husband. 
And then her husband killed himself. And so she sort of by accident was thrust into this world. And it is 100% a movie about a woman coming to find her own voice and her own power. And being underestimated. Being and, underestimated yeah. consistently by rooms full of white men. I mean, she's white too and wealthy. But still, like, um, I have often complained, and we'll talk more about it when we get to the performances, but I've often complained, especially recently, that Meryl Streep has been putting on so many bells and whistles that I can't feel the real person underneath it. And this is, like, my favorite Meryl performance in easily a decade. I think she's extraordinary. I also really, really love um, a, a process film. That's why oh, yeah. I love Spotlight. I love it's yep. why... I just love films that are about regular people doing the hard work. Mm -hmm. And I feel like so often... We don't see it. We, li we live in a world of like exceptionalism, including in exceptionalism in storytelling, right? How many times do we see a story where there's the chosen one? Sure. And the yeah. special one. Um, and it's nice to see that like, but the reality is, is most people who find success work for it. There's real work that requires... In their day-to-day, -day, just making the right decision yep. and that impacting and having an effect. For sure. Yeah. And this is 100% a film that celebrates that it celebrates Kay Graham's contribution. I have now on my list to read her autobiography. I heard it's great. I've heard it's great. And I'm so intrigued by this woman. It's also just very classic filmmaking. Super. In, yeah. In the best sense. I really just enjoyed it. It made me cry. Yeah. <laughs> the phone call scene. I'm just going to, when the I have like a caftan. shitty day and feel down about the world, I'm just going to, I know I'm going to find it streaming somewhere. The just... caftan? Sorry. Yes. No, I mean, yeah. I wish I was wearing that white and gold caftan right now, and I'm furious that I'm not. So. Is it the same as the scene that you're talking about? Yes. Like she's yeah. wearing that, she's like wearing that, that white and gold caftan. Punch. And the sh And the filmmaking is just so, like, it's a master technician working with a master actress. Like, the way different people yeah. keep telling her different stuff and he just keeps changing the shot mm -hmm. and the way it's going. And then in the moment, there's a moment where she has to make a crucial decision and she's hearing all this input from all of these different men, all with different opinions. She's been overwhelmed. We've yet to see a moment where she like truly finds her voice. And we, Spielberg is taking these different shots of her from different angles as she hears different pieces of information. And then he finally just holds on it the score drops out and we just watch a fucking actress act. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it is so incredible. I'm tearing up right now thinking about it. I'm also drunk, but I'm tearing up just <laughs> thinking about it. Um, yeah, so The Post is my, my number five. And I really think that this movie is really a capsule of, of now. And it's interesting because Spielberg filmed it the turnaround was insanely fast like he decided oh, yeah. to make it like they knew in the march. story was yeah they Whoa. they filmed it yeah he decided to film it in march they filmed it over the summer and then they released it in december wow but what's crazy is like in march you definitely understood the whole idea of like examining the importance of the free press and oh, yeah. our political system but there was no way for them to imagine sort of the the women's movement <laughs> that ended up happening in the fall and it just hit Bang, right at the perfect time. Mm -hmm. So that is my number five. What is your number five, I, Nathan? I just want to say I love that that's on your top ten mm -hmm. because I find myself recommending the post all the time. Like yes. if, if people, cause people say, you know, what should I prioritize or whatever. Right. 
and the post always comes to mind. Somehow it didn't make my top ten, but I fucking loved it. Yeah. And it's the and I'm not a Spielberg like apologist right. or anyway. Right. Love it. Love it. Great. Love, love, love. Um Your number five. My number five? Okay. Yeah. My number five is Phantom Thread. Ooh, la la. Which I can't remember. I know one of you talked about. Did both of you talk about it already? I did. Just it was my okay. So Detest. to me, <laughs> to me, like everything you said about it being surprising and and like beating expectations certainly helps because <clears throat> I was expecting, you know, like a kind of like a sanitized version of. There will be blood. I don't know <laughs> yeah. if that makes any sense. Sure. Um, that was also one of the most like, misleading trailers. Yeah. 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 Of totally. the year. <laughs> but Vicky fucking <laughs> crepes, crips, crops, creeps, crumps, yeah, whatever it is. Crumps, I think. Crepas. Yeah. Crumpus. There's a silent. <laughs> is just transcendent. She's great. And like Leslie Manville and... Um, Cool hand Luke or left hand Sally or left foot <laughs> Daniel Day Lewis. My left foot man. Yep, yep. that's the one. <laughs> Daniel Day Lewis. Obviously, he's a great sure. Leslie Manville. I love and she's exceptional. Yes, but Vicky fucking crepes. I don't know how to pronounce her name, but crepes. She crepe criminy River Crockett. She is so. Good. And it's yes. not, you know, it's not just her that's good. She is so good in the milieu that was created by Paul Thomas Anderson yeah. and, you know, all of it. It's just so successful. I think it also really speaks to a great instinct on Paul Thomas Anderson's instinct to not cast an actress who is known to American yes. audiences. Yeah. Because I think especially the like legend of Daniel Day-Lewis is so intense yep. that any actress that we know that already comes with a baggage of knowing what to expect, knowing their bag of tricks, knowing blah, 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 it would already like set them up at a disadvantage to play off Daniel Day-Lewis. But she was really an unknown factor in a way that she's also an unknown and unexpected factor in Reynolds Woodcock's life. Like yeah, yeah. there's a nice symmetry to that and it was a really good instinct to cast to us, I'm sure she's the talk of the town in Luxembourg, but like... Probably she should be. Yeah. Yeah, I think for me, it sounds very surface level, but for me, it's all about Vicky and the cinematography and shots, but specifically while they're... Specifically while they're driving through the country. And like that, you know, it was... quite a deep resonant film and it had all kinds of things to say and I connected to all of that but really what sticks with me is her performance mm-hmm. and their driving through the countryside nice which mm-hmm. sometimes is all you need for a yeah. film lingers alright it's me right number four top it's, four oh my what do we gosh. got Number four for me, I believe probably the first time this will appear on our list, is Call Me By Your Name. Oh. Heard of it? Um, it is a film, just to sum up, it's based on a novel. Um, but it's a film about a, a young man, boy, man, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. 
17. He is from a family of intellectuals. His father is a professor. His mother, I think, is French, but they're definitely like a bi-trilingual family. And every summer they live in a villa or house in Italy. And every summer his father, who is an art professor, has a grad student come stay with them. And this particular summer in the main character Elio's life, the grad student um, is Army Hammer. <laughs> it's not, Oliver. It's not actually Army Hammer, right? It's Oliver. <laughs> um, and, and he falls in love for the first time. And that's kind of all that there is to it, in yep. a way. But the film is so visceral and immersive that I actually feel like I summered in Italy. Oh, I feel like those are my memories. No, yeah. I really do. Like I, I can close my eyes and I not only know what it looks like, but I can feel the breeze on my skin. I can feel the sort of sticky hotness of the summer and I can feel the breeze of riding my bicycle through it and the relief of jumping into the pool and I can taste the fruit that's growing on the trees. Like. Mm -hmm. It's, it's one of the most immersive feelings I've had in a film in a very, very, very long time. And part of it is the way it's shot. Sometimes things fade into focus and they fade out of focus. A lot of the music is diegetic. Mm -hmm. um, he doesn't actually use any original compositions. He uses a bunch of classical pieces and a few like 80s pop because it's set in the 80s. 80s pop songs and Euro songs. And then there are the three original Sufjan Stevens songs. Um, it probably would be my winner for the best ending of any film. Yes. I'm going to talk a whole, whole, whole lot about Timothy Chalamet when we get to performance. So I As won't, will I. So I won't do it now, only um, to save time. But I think the thing that stuck with me more than anything, which again comes back to, I guess, my like unofficial theme of my top ten, is the universality of a specific experience. And it is very much particular to this one person. Um, Elio is often unlikable. <laughs> <laughs> he is petulant and snobbish and like all of these things that make him feel like a complete person. He's not the hero who or protagonist who we like just want to do well by him. He's someone that we can experience like understand the experience of when we were 17 and just trying to figure the fuck out of life yeah which is really really goddamn hard mm -hmm. and he's trying to figure the fuck out of life while also being attracted to a man and trying to figure out what that means yeah. in his life which is a whole other component that i never went through but it's so specific and it completely captures the feeling of being in love for the first time in a way that i cannot remember a film so purely elementally capturing the visceral experience of being in love. For sure. And falling in love. Not necessarily like true love. Maybe it's even more right. like lust. But the overwhelming sensation of being completely overtaken by a person. Yeah. Which is what we watch happen. And it's so sensual and mm -hmm. sexy. Yes, and Michael Stuhlbarg we're going to talk about when we get to the performances. Um, it's just such a pure distillation of a, a experience that is at once both specific and universal and i loved it and i loved my time in italy 
And I loved that Cheers. time that Army Hammer and I fell head over heels for each other. It was a good time. <laughs> Happened to me too. Um, a lovely choice. So that is my number we four. We'll hear more about uh, Nathan. What is your number four? It's my turn. It is. <laughs> My number, me? <laughs> my number four is God's Own Country. Uh-huh. And this, you know, we heard Matt talk about it. This is my number 10. This yep. is number 10. Um, but for me, what, and I agree with everything you said about why it was resonant and worked, but I think for me, what really worked above, or what, stuck with me above everything was how dark it was and Mm. and messy in the sense that like it explored the idea of life being about death like Like, life doesn't exist without death like there's no concept of life without death and so they explore that in very specific concrete ways like you know they're on a farm, so you can imagine, you know, sure, and the sheep like the, being born and dying, and, and the dad issues. with his health issues, and it's very. Um, you just said elemental, but it, it's very elemental. It, it's like it, it's almost like a Cain and Abel fable, sort of like very. Ooh feels like a biblical adaptation. Rooted yeah. in, yeah, just rooted <laughs> yeah. in, like, the earth. And, and I'm like, just furious I haven't seen it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I just thought it did that so well. I think cont- my, my one controversial statement is that it's better than Brokeback Mountain. Oh, no, honey, no. Um, <laughs> I only say that because it's compared to it. You just yes. witnessed no, their divorce. <clears throat> Oh yeah, this was the moment. Um, but I also say that because I believe it. Um, <laughs> no, that's fair. But it just, it, it, yeah. I mean, that's that's basically it. it. Despite all of that hard, cold truth that it explores, it's still hopeful. You could almost call it hopeful. Sure. Mm-hmm. But at least in a way that you know makes you feel like you understand our existence more it's not just oh we're all fucked which i fall into the trap of with movies all the time (laughs) but i appreciated that this was not that was not the message Mm -hmm. so um hooray for that i'm going to chime in even though i have not seen this movie but just on the like broke back thing i'm also just curious to see like what broke back would be now if it was a movie made in 2017 mm-hmm. versus when it was made. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like... It would feel so outdated. It would feel so outdated. So. Or the film itself would be it different, is what I'm saying, is that I wonder if God's Own Country, like, yeah. part of the reason you responded to it or maybe the more, like, nuanced aspects you're talking about are because, like... We've evolved. We've evolved yeah. as a culture. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. maybe gay love doesn't need to be seen as completely quite as tragic or you know anyways yeah. to stick up for Brokeback for but, a second it is a oh no I piece love it and, and I haven't seen this movie and I'm I think it's saying. like classic filmmaking it is a bit of a throwback I think it would be made the exact same way today and I would receive it just the same way and that's and that's quite possible but too but what, I'm just saying like considering oh, yeah. how radical that movie was right at the time like sure. it is no longer quite the radical thing yeah I agree completely with what you're saying but I also think what's 
fascinating to me about Gods Own Country is how violent it is. Not and it is yeah. not gruesome violent, but it's it's about the violence of life. It's about the violence of being other, other struggling mm-hmm. of yeah. struggling of it. It's not. It doesn't pull any punches. It's not. There's no veneer yeah, of anything. It's harsh. It's harsh. Mm-hmm. Um, the landscape, the characters, mm-hmm. the but all of that comes together, and it's another like very vicious. intimate, you know, focused movie that was very successful, which I think has become a theme this yeah. year. Nice, indeed. That was your four. Mm-hmm. So we're to meet my number four a movie we haven't yet discussed, but I'm sure we will some more. Is Get Out. Mm-hmm. Get Jordan, out. Get out. Never you seen it. get out of here. <laughs> Uh, Jordan Peele's directorial debut, mm. the like horror comedy satire that hopefully you've all seen. Documentary according to Peele himself. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> it's friggin' genius. I love how many things it is at once, you know, the comedy, horror, satire, drama. Successfully, too. And successfully and equally. Like, uh, it, ex- it succeeds on all aspects of those, even more yes. so than like one upping something like Scream. Yes. Which is, of course, a horror movie and a comedy and a satire similar to yes. this. Um, but just with that, like, racial subtext and social commentary is, I mean, not even subtext, it's text, it's te- but also there's <laughs> yeah. subtext as well. Um, you can tell that Jordan Peele comes from sketch comedy. Like, it feels like a this would be a really great, like, Key and Peele sketch, but that he's extended into a narrative feature. Yeah. But it doesn't feel thin at all, even though it's no. pretty simple. It's and like he gets help from those performances. The ensemble is amazing. Fucking fantastic. Betty Gabriel and her no 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 no. Oh girl, oh, scene of the year. Amazing. Oh amazing. So yeah, those performances bring it home, they elevate it. The experience of seeing this movie in theater. So I also I you know, I knew that it was doing well. I think we saw it maybe the second weekend. Mm-hmm. It was it was out. We saw it, like, relatively after its release, soon after its release. And so it had, like, a super high Rotten Tomatoes and Metacritic score. I had never seen a trailer for it. I had actually no idea what the actual film was. And I'm so glad I went into this movie, like, blind as a bat. And we saw it, you know, here in Brooklyn, predominantly African-American audience. Yes. Oh, my God. I mean, it it worked so well for us. I can't imagine how well it worked for someone who has actually experienced being a black person in this country. Yes. so many moments when people just screamed or hollered or yeah. literally stood up and snapped because it's <laughs> yes. like it's just executed so so well. Um, I love how much it shows and doesn't tell, like because it is kind of plotty or twisty. Yeah, and there are some moments like so. We rewatched this movie a couple months ago with Nathan's parents. Actually, boy, it does it like, hold up on a rewatch. Oh yes, it yep. does. This is, I mean, it's it's a classic. It's actually it's like deep on the second. Like yeah. no question about it. Yeah, yeah. I'm so glad that it was released when it was, so it had time to like build and like just the cultural cachet. It's like instantly yeah. iconic. I mean, this is also a move a movie of now. Oh, a hundred and twelve percent, like yeah, and so instantly iconic. The that idea of the sunken place, which has become kind of like ubiquitous, and like, yes. like among people who haven't even seen the movie, right? Yes. And just the visual of yeah. that too. Of course, the, the performances we'll yeah. we'll get to more, but Daniel Kaluuya anchors it so so well. Oh my God, what a breakout of the year in all ways, like writing, directing, and amazing filmmaking. Like, oh yeah, it'd be Just one thing tension. to lay it all on the like cast and the screenplay, but Jordan filmmaker knows his way around a camera. Like, 
Jordan filmmaker. Jordan filmmaker. Oh, jeez. <laughs> that he That's is. That's what he goes by now. <laughs> right. That is his new name. Well, he's just the filmmaker. No, but Jordan Peele is a filmmaker. Like, his... which are all like the high wire genre. Like, it's a very genre film. Yeah. Like, even to just debut with a good horror film would be tough. With a debut comedy would be tough. With a satire would be crazy tough. Yeah, it's, it's to balance all those so well. Mix sort of undefinable. It is an achievement. And a. it is unquestionably one of the best films of 2017. If you haven't seen it, it's on HBO Go. A. And you're crazy. You, you gotta see it. I mean, it didn't quite make my top ten. No, just Lies. <laughs> Lies. Uh, Nathan. That's my number four. We're round robin to you. Number We are bronze three. metal territory. Okay, we're at another moment where I'm going to be the first to mention a film that will surely be talked about many, many times. I think um, that I'm the first. I know it will be talked about many, many times. Uh, my, my number three is Lady Bird. Ooh. As is mine. Um, oh. So, oh. We can, so why don't you... Um, joint discuss that. Which I think, uh, speaking of like iconic cl- instant classics, to me this is like a perfect comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you don't know what Lady Bird is, get the fuck out. <laughs> um, I like but, that we're so hostile to our audience. <laughs> yeah. This is the one that Greta Gerwig created and it has Saoirse Ronan and it's about, you know, a, a young lady in Sacramento coming 2002, of 2003. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, senior year of high school. Yeah. Dealing with her mom and, and it's their like, upbringing and... It's just, I mean, it's just so genius. I don't know what to say. Like, it's one of those things that's not remotely my experience. Mm-hmm. But again, it captures the specificity but so well, it's universal. It's so funny. Saoirse Ronan is a hero. Oh, gosh, she's so fucking good. We're going to talk about her a lot I mean, when we get to performance. I love I her always, but this performance. And it's a tough performance. She, mm-hmm. But she makes Hard it look easy. Oh, yeah. It really is the... So. Elio equivalent. Like yeah. both she and Timothy Chalamet. They're playing someone at a point in their life where they are often unlikable and they don't shy away from those moments. Right, where right. the character isn't settled into who they are. Yeah. And what she does best is, I think her relationship with every single other actor in the film <laughs> tells you so much about their relationship. Yeah. And, and this goes to Greta Gerwig's script, of course, but also her direction yeah. of the film and the performances that you get so much history out of like one or two line readings or yeah. just a look. It's... It is delicious. I think this was my mouth agape movie of 2017, where mm. the entire time I was just like, this is so good, I don't know if it could be better. Mm. And like, ultimately, it's only my third <laughs> movie because I'm not a young white lady from Sacramento. <laughs> but like, <laughs> so fucking good. See it, see it, see it several times. Yeah, these like top four for me were all... Oh, yeah. Do you have more to share about Lady Bird since that was your number three as well? Yeah, I I can't. I love, I mean, of course the ensemble, but I love so much how, yes, it's basically a perfect film. I love it. I know it's going to age so well. I already Mm -hmm. consider it, as as we discussed, like literally the second we left it, Nathan was like, that's our Annie Hall. Oh, yeah. Only without having like a creepy pedophile filmmaker behind (laughs) it. Exactly. Even better. Really? Um, but I also, the thing I keep coming back to is The Graduate, which is a little different because that was such a seminal, like, time period. 
and it captured the moment and the zeitgeist so well and was like instantly critically loved and this is kind of the same even though it takes place you know 15 years ago or whatever um i just i I know it's gonna like the graduate we put so much importance on i think because it's a male story and those are like automatically their coming of age is more important and this yes like is like oh it's a light comedy even though the graduate is the same thing thing but Again, this it, because it's yeah. a female that we're like oh no it's just a it's just a female story or it's a yeah again it's, it's like sorry not to jump no. on yours especially yep. since spoiler alert i'm gonna talk about this movie more but i'm gonna pull off. i figured um <laughs> but it's like the shape of water in that we don't put importance on these milestones or characteristics in women the same way we don't make movies about female desire we don't make films about female coming of age or at least not any sort of like serious way that gives them any sort of imports because women are just expected to be fully formed at pretty much every stage which is how we like gender our kids right like girls are always supposed to be the more mature girls are supposed to be the ones who Mm -hmm. are more together it's Mm -hmm. boys who will be boys and girls have to figure it out and that's reflective in what we value in our culture so you're right like the fact more than anything, the fact that the critical response to this movie has been so high has been so fucking meaningful to me that yeah. people, especially straight men, find this story valuable. Amen. It matters. It does. It really, really I think matters. there are a few comedic moments that are pitched a little broadly. Like I think of the, the coach. The coach, yeah. And like directing them and like, you're going to go here and you're going <laughs> to And like it's hilarious at the time, but it is like a little, okay, the rest of this is really grounded. But both the graduate and Annie Hall have moments that are just like that. Yep. So this, I think, is going to age really, really well. Agreed. It is a solid, solid bronze medal for me. That's my number three. Nice. What is your number three? My number three, my old so-and-sos, <laughs> is The Phantom Thread. Oh. So just a little backstory. Some old backstory time. <laughs> Lizzie Sell. That's my name. That's you. <laughs> Not as good as Reynolds Woodcock, but true. Uh, I saw this trailer and I cringed <laughs> because I could not take yet another self-important movie about a male genius and the woman who like gets in the way, which is what the trailer makes it seem or even, like. Like just supports him or something. Yeah. Yes, or like very like self-serious about the importance of male artistry, right? Like that just seems mm-hmm. like what it would be. Paul Thomas Anderson has been sort of hit or miss with me. I really like his earlier work, and then lately I've been having a harder and harder time connecting to them. Um, Daniel Day-Lewis is someone who I often feel like, not unlike Meryl, I see all the bells and whistles and I feel fucking nothing underneath it. I feel, I in general, I'm not like, I love method acting, or like, I love the most acting. I rarely react to that. I tend to like more natural performances. Mm -hmm. I thought it was gonna be that, everything like that. Oh boy, was it nothing I expected. Mm-mm. My favorite Daniel Day-Lewis performance, not just in the last decade, I think hands down it is my favorite Daniel Day-Lewis performance ever. I think old Danny boy, if this is the one you're going out with, like Godspeed because yep. I loved it. Um, I loved that it is a warped romance. <laughs> yep. Um, I saw it with my boyfriend and it was somehow like the perfect date movie. <laughs> we quote it to each other all the time now. In the way that it's like very funny. Like we'll be sitting there like having breakfast together and we're both not morning people. And then one of us will jokingly be like, well, now my whole day is ruined. <laughs> you know, like it's just 
it was so it was surprisingly funny. I laughed out loud. Oh yeah. So much during that movie. I definitely saw the like inspiration from Rebecca. Especially with Lan- Leslie Mansfield character, who I believe would probably be a good inductee into the celluloid closet. Ooh. Oh, yeah. I sure. interpret, especially like, well, I don't want to spoil it, but. Mrs. Danvers. At the end, yeah, she's like very Mrs. Danvers. But at the same time, as opposed to Rebecca, where Mrs. Danvers absolutely like hates the new wife, who, by the way, doesn't get a name, as opposed to Vicky Creeps, who 100% gets a name. Alma. Old Alma. Um, I like that sort of at the end, the two women find a mutual respect for each mm-hmm. other. Yep. Which I wasn't necessarily um, expecting. But more than ever, I loved the fact that it is a deconstruction of the tortured artist. It is... Um, and the male ego. And the male ego. Yeah. It is a self-deprecating view of it. And I think particularly in a year where mother got so much attention. <laughs> no, I mean, hear me out. Yep. <laughs> I think mother is the unaware projection of who Darren Aronofsky thinks he is as an artist and the importance of the artist. And it's so self-serious, which is why it turned off a lot of people, mm-hmm. even for the number of people I know who like really loved it. Whereas I feel like Phantom Thread is the projection of the importance of the artist being undercut by one's partner and realizing oh, I'm not that important. Like, <laughs> Mother makes Darren Aronofsky seem like a fucking dick. <laughs> Whereas Phantom Thread makes me appreciate Paul Thomas Anderson and the presence of Maya Rudolph in his life all the more. Yeah. And the same with Daniel Day-Lewis, whose wife is a filmmaker and an artist. Because I yeah, know that Daniel Day-Lewis and, and Paul Thomas Anderson collaborated on the screenplay yep. and the yeah, storyline. Yeah. And um, I also really love that they chose to make his profession as a... Um, fashion designer which again like questioning the ideals of masculinity in the fact that this is not a career that is often thought to be particularly masculine right um, I mean I'm with you on Vicky Creeps we will talk about her so much more but beyond that I sort of love the idea as twisted as it is that love is sort of a perverse act of surrender Oh, sure. That it is against our better interest. It is against <laughs> our better sense that we love someone, fully entrust our lives to them, and the sacrifice that that takes, and how it can be a humbling experience. Sure. And to be like vulnerable. And with to be vulnerable. Else, like yeah. that is a, a. It changes your life, it changes who you are in the best of circumstances. And this is a very like warped view on it. Um, I Yeah, I left it's beautifully constructed i love the performance but i was surprised by like it's my favorite date movie of the year i found it wildly romantic even though oh, yeah. it's a fucking twisted romance well um, i love that there were definitely some other romances of the year that deal with like coming of age or like young romance which is more yes. easily depicted but this is like two people who are fairly i mean especially especially reynolds, reynolds, yeah, reynolds Woodcock, Woodcock, but so set in his ways yeah. That then finds oh love my gosh. or companionship and needs to then change or like there, adapt. It's... Yes, and there is a scene where she tries to do a genuinely nice thing and make him dinner. Mm-hmm. He reacts poorly because she's prepared the asparagus the wrong way. He doesn't like change. And then they have what is one of the most inarticulate fights I've ever seen on screen. And that neither of them says anything. <laughs> Mm-hmm. of substance but you feel their frustration and it is honestly 
the most realistic fight I've seen between a couple, which is you just are frustrated with each other and you can't really explain why and you're being inflexible and I don't understand it and I'm also being inflexible, but I don't see that I'm being inflexible because, of course, I'm coming from from my perspective. And it's, (laughs) you know what I mean? It was like such a scene that I'm like, this is written by two men who have been married for a really long time and also really fucking love their wives. Yeah. Anyways, I cannot believe if you had told me two months ago that Phantom Thread would even be on my top ten, let alone my number three, I would have like laughed in your face. I would have thrown this bittersweet ruin into your face. But I loved this movie so much. Amen. And it appeared on all three of our lists. Yeah. It was, it was on your list. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just talked about it. You did. We are to our silver medals. It's me. Oh, good. My runner-up should the winner not be able to <laughs> fulfill her duties. Which will probably happen. Uh, oh, could, given the way 2017 was. Uh, my runner-up is BPM, beats per minute. Uh, as Nathan discussed, mm-hmm. as his number six or seven, six. or who knows. Um, directed by Robin Campillo and it was another debut this is his mm-hmm. first film as a director he wrote if I'm not mistaken The Class from like 2008 like 10 years ago super good French film um, yeah so as Nathan said it's about the ACT UP movement um, like AIDS activists in Paris in 1990 it is super processy as you were talking about with The Post and mm-hmm. as if you listened you know I love with Spotlight was my number one of mm-hmm. two years ago um, and so, so powerful. And it has such a good balance of, just like I was talking about with Get Out, balancing styles. This has a great balance of processing and planning and the intellectualization of what this movement is trying to accomplish and being cognizant of how they're perceived and then the actual visceral, emotional responses to how they're being treated and the communities being treated and their response to all of that. It's... Oh, it is epic, 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 but also really small and intimate. And it ends up sort of crystallizing or focusing on one relationship between two of the members and them falling in love. And one is HIV positive, the other is not. And so it does, you know, follow along lots of maybe tropes or expected paths that the plot would take when you're dealing with a film that is dealing with the AIDS crisis in that time period. But it is so alive. It feels like a documentary. It's this living document. The ensemble is so strong. Mm-hmm. And it. I, before we saw it, I was like, that's kind of a weird title, but it is so fitting. Just beats per minute of your life. Your heart is beating. You are alive now. And that includes sex and death and yeah. love and emotions. And it's so angry, which is unfortunately resonant at this moment in time and different groups that are of course being marginalized and you know still being marginalized and how it taps into that anger and that frustration and uh, it's just gripping and powerful and such a beautiful love story I love how well it captures a sense of place and the costume design and the production design without being like look we're set in 1990 (laughs) like it really feels authentically of that era right emotionally of course but then also visually it's yeah. uh which i feel like um it's a gut punch of a film no question which i feel like maybe again i haven't seen it which is 
of all the films that I you guys have on your list that I have not seen that I wanted to see. That's the, my most regret. And I almost watched it this morning, but then I was like, it's too soon to us recording that I don't want to watch it. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, not unenjoyable. Because, so, yeah, and I probably need time to, like, process it. But I just think, like, that's maybe one of the things that sets us apart from other movies about, like, AIDS and the AIDS crisis and people dying of AIDS is the anger. Mm-hmm. And I think it's something that whether you're talking about the gay rights movement, whether you're talking about Black Lives Matter and the civil rights movement, or if you're talking about feminism and women's rights, is there is this stigmatization against being angry. That it somehow discounts your point of view. Right. Mm-hmm. So like right now with the like Me Too movement. calm down, be rational, right, talk the, it out. The thing with the like, Me Too no. movement is like, well, women are angry. Yeah. No shit. We are. And it is an earned anger. And that doesn't discount what we're feeling. Like, people of color are angry that people in their community are dying. Like, people were angry that people in their community were dying of AIDS and that doesn't discount. So anyways, I think that that is something actually kind of revolutionary because usually we look more at the tragic side, right? Oh, of course. The tragic side of people dying of AIDS as opposed to like the, no, we're fucking furious. Mm-hmm. And that's and an no Im- one's paying attention. And no one's paying attention and that is an important and cathartic thing to show, which I think is why that film seems to have resonated with some For sure. People. And that it is very matter of fact about death and that it's a part of life and that this is a virus that yeah. killed many, many, many people. Millions. But it's still about life and love and yeah. we persist. We continue on Nathan and I were you know sobbing and it's a, <laughs> a real gut punch of a film yeah even though it's not like maudlin or like that's not its aim right but afterwards we saw it at Lincoln Center and there's like a little bar right there where we're like let's split a bottle of wine <laughs> we are so fucking happy to be alive right now yeah. in this era of course there's work to be done but yeah just thankful it's a beautiful piece of art it's a it's a good work BPM see it amazing all right, so we're to my number two. Is that Your number two. My number two is a little old film called Get, Get Out. Get out. <laughs> Get name, out of town. Don't name my movies for me, Matt <laughs> Dittis, who's like, I can predict Elizabeth Hollis. She's so boring and predictable. Lies. Um, I have here in my notes, it is funny, it is frank, it's terrifying, it's mm-hmm. confrontational, which I think is the mm. boldest thing, speaking of anger. There is a real black anger in this film yeah that is confrontational and somehow still as obnoxious as to say like palatable like it's not meant for white people to feel comfortable right <laughs> which i appreciate because often right there's this like balance of like well this is starring people of color and it's really a story about people of color not even people of color it's about black people yeah it is in america this, in america yeah. it is specifically about the black experience in america and he makes no efforts to make white people comfortable. Oh, no. Particularly in the fact all. that this is not, like, backwoods southern racists. This is affluent white liberals. Yep. Like, well, I'm not affluent. I wish I was affluent. <laughs> but I'm a white liberal lady. You know what I mean? And yeah. it, like, yeah, it's yeah. really confrontational in a way that I respect so, so much. I also think that... Um, it's fascinating that it's also sort of a body horror mm. that confronts the ideas of black bodies for white consumption. Yeah. So even now when we have like a level of acceptance for black 
people in certain roles, it's partly the fetishi- fetishizations of their bodies. Sure, Particularly, like, like I think about like and, yeah. black athletes, right? Sure. We have this thing where like the idea that black men have huge dicks. Like there are all this like weird shit that I feel like has almost been twisted to be like, it's a compliment, but it's not. It's a fetishization of other, of the mm-hmm. other. Yep. Particularly for white consumption. You know, much in the way that happens for, like, Asian women, which is there is this, like, fetish of them being submissive. But it's not about them being submissive to their partners. It's specifically Asian women being submissive to white men. Right. And that, and so this is, like, the same thing with black bodies. And it's such an interesting way of examining that and sort of flipping the script on it. Yeah. Um, the performances are all freaking stellar we will definitely talk about it when we get to the performance um the most terrifying thing probably in cinema all years is allison williams eating (laughs) fruit loops plain while drinking a glass of milk in a white button-up shirt and listening to i've had the time of my life from dirty dancing while scrolling through black male athletes like 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 nfl top prospects or whatever yes oh oh my god this movie is freaking amazing it hasn't left my mind i recently rewatched it and again like i said it becomes even better on a rewatch um and i just want to particularly call out because there's so much excellent in the film but um the opening scene with lakeith stanfield who by the way lakeith stanfield is great as always he probably won't make it to our performance conversation just because that film is stacked and could definitely be an ensemble but also lakeith stanfield is attractive (laughs) and when I watched it with my boyfriend um, and they later see him and he's wearing the hat and is supposed to look sort of square my boyfriend was like he still looks really fucking cool (laughs) 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 because like he's Stanfield is really attractive but anyways that was a little tangent that opening (laughs) when he is walking through suburbia Mm -hmm. and we feel that sense of unease of he does not belong here this is not a safe space for him and it's such an incredible subversion of the myth of the black man that we have. Oh, sure. That, like, a white woman is unsafe, particularly in a neighborhood where she might fall prey to a predatory black man that literally falls back to, like, post-reconstruction sure. America. And just from a filmmaking or storytelling point of view, the, like, the opening girl, like, slasher film. Yes killer like yep. the drew barrymore and yes it's always like a right. white girl who falls victim and right. the fact that it is not only an african-american person but an african-american male mm-hmm. is so fat it's also shot beautifully in like a seemingly one shot and the creepy ass song on the car radio mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. everything about it but right he basically sets up the thesis of his entire film in that opening scene that opening scene is its own contained yep. mini film of his thesis of what the whole piece is going to be about. And Stellar. it's incredible. It's incredible. Mm-hmm. It's a gem. Uh, Nathan. Twat. Your silver medal. My silver medal is also Get Out. <gasps> I've heard of oh, it. Oh, you could have chimed in. Sorry, um, I didn't mean to take over. That. No, no. I I agree with everything that's been said. It's, it's another instant classic. Um... What I'm thinking about more than anything is that it, in a lot of ways, it was designed to, well, I don't know if it was consciously designed Mm -hmm. uh, this way, but in a way, it's 
accessible to white people mm-hmm. because it's a horror movie. Oh, yes. sure. And it's yeah. so fucking horrific yes. and scary throughout that I think in a way that like a documentary, you know, we've all seen documentaries that have opened our eyes and about, you know, racial issues and yeah. social issues. and But in in a way, this was like more effective to like the head in the sand white person that we all that all white people are to some extent because of who we are and how we were raised and what society we were raised in right um that it makes it even more effective for like spurring the conversation making us feel the feels and you know not that i have any concept and never will of what it's like to be a racial minority but like yeah it's just gold on the screen. Like, it's it's so... Yeah. That's a great point, because I feel like when we watch other films, we can sort of be like, you know, whether it's 12 Years of... And I'm not denigrating these movies, because I think 12 Years of Slave was my number one of that year. I freaking love that movie, and I loved Selma. And, but when we watch those movies, right, we can sort of be like, well, I would never be like that. Yeah. I would never be like that. And there's something about this film that is like, I might say that I would have... Voted for Barack Obama a third time if I had the chance. Right. Like, yeah. I, right. It's a movie that made me confront things in myself that I can't say, like, oh, I would never be like that. Right. I, I might sort of add to those microaggressions. Yeah. Fuck. I feel like that's such a. I feel like that's such a downfall of anyone who's not in an oppressed community. Like, yeah. We, you know, I would say. I wouldn't say not all men, but I, but like, I, <laughs> you know, it's very easy for me to say, well, I'm not misogynist. That's which, right. When I clearly am because I was raised. I'm misogynist in some right. ways because that's right. the culture like, we live in. We we're live all, in like, a patriarchy and a misogynist community that ex- some of it is ingrained and I have to constantly fight against it. Yeah. Exactly. And then the point, like the point becomes too often, like you're either racist or you're not, you're yes. either misogynist or you're not like. Blah, 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 which is, like, so not helpful. Right. <laughs> yeah. So I appreciated that. And and it's just so fucking entertaining. Yes. You're well, right. right. There's all this, like, social, like, importance to the film, but the bottom line is also it's just a goddamn fun and scary and thrilling time to yeah. With spend in the like Amazing set. performances and... Great the filmmaking. Yeah, yeah, everything Oh, yeah, the score fresh. is real good. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. Yeah. Anyway, that's my number two. I love it. Love it, love it. Is it back to me? We are to our favorite films of the year. Oh, gosh. I I feel like I've already talked too much. Well, (laughs) so another disclaimer, because I already know that Matt and Nathan both know what this movie is for me. And you know what ours are. Yeah. It's it's Um, written on the walls. It's written on the walls. But before we saw this film, Matt said to me, I think this is going to be your number one of the year. (laughs) And I was really resentful for that. That's fair. And I thought... No way Such can I let this be my favorite of the year. And then we saw the fucking film, and probably about two thirds of the way through, I thought, Fuck. God fucking damn it, Matt <laughs> is right. This is my favorite film of the year. My favorite film of the year is Lady Bird. Um, last year, my favorite film was Moonlight, and there was something about the craft that I was like unable to articulate why it was so great. Ladybird, I fear, is the opposite of that, which is that I could 
literally do a full hour-long podcast on why Lady Bird is so good. Um, I will say that last night I rewatched it, but even if I had re-wa- hadn't rewatched it, like it's clearly my number one. It didn't need to be rewatched. Nothing was like solidified by rewatching it. It was just like, oh, I can talk about this. I can talk about this. Um, I will say that this is the most personal experience I've had. Like in a way that you say it's right. The specific becomes universal, but you don't know what it's like to be a young teenager in Sacramento. Mm -hmm. While I cannot relate to the Sacramento setting, I can relate to almost every single other thing in Lady Bird. Um, Down to the fact that it takes place during her senior year, which is 2002, 2003, which is our our senior year. Yep. Like my senior year was 2002, 2003. Um, She, Greta Gerwig, captured what is probably the most authentic mother-daughter relationship I have ever seen on screen. To a way that I relate to it with my own mother and then my best friend Nora who has a very different relationship with her mother, but it also captures her relationship with her mother. Like, yeah. Oh, I felt it. The, yes, the yep. complexity of this like push and pull of love and hate. And I think particularly, I mean, not to dismiss your own relationship with your mother, but I think that there is something that happens specifically between mothers to daughters. daughters. Sure. Because there's a reflection of yourself in which there is not when you have a child of another gender or mm-hmm. your parent of the other gender, right? This like reflection of yourself and it's all encapsulated in this first perfect scene, which is the two of them at the hotel room mm-hmm. where you see the few little things where she's like, mom, you don't have to make the bed. And she's like, but I want to. And then they're in the car and they're both sobbing, having this cathartic emotional experience listening to Grapes of Wrath. And they make a joke about how long they've been on the road doing this college tour. And it's this moment of them being exactly the same that a second later falls completely apart to the point that they're at each other's throat and one, like, literally heaves herself out of the car. (laughs) (laughs) And it's, I mean, speaking of, like, Get Out, this opening opening scene scene. sets the entire thesis for the film. It's just, like... Everything. The audition scene. Oh, so Lady Bird decides to, is encouraged to audition. Her audition is 100% authentic to who she is. I mean, we'll talk about it more when we talk about Saoirse, because I have so much to say about her (laughs) and this performance and the fact that we discount performances that are not, like, melodramatic and life crises and sure i think she i honestly think she had the hardest role of this entire year matched yes. only possibly by timothy chalamet legitimately mm-hmm. and she fucking nailed it um to the fact that like <laughs> um lucas hedges singing us there are giants in the sky <laughs> which is like the perfect song especially for 2002 yep. and he's just a little bit out of tune sometimes like he's great <laughs> but also not quite there uh the Beanie Feldstein character is incredible. And I think what I come away with more than anything is how generous Greta Gerwig is with her characters. Mm-hmm. Every single character has a life of their own that you feel. And you could at any point shift the film and follow them and it would feel completely natural yeah. and organic. And even people who seem like they would be of a type. So like 
Timothy Chalamet, in, who's also in this movie, seems like he's a particular kid. But there are these moments where, like, in the first scene, or maybe it's, like, the second scene with him, you find out that his dad is dying of cancer. That's the bet when it, like, flips the script and deepens, like, why he is the way he is. Yes. Which is kind of, like, archetypal, but... Yes. Yeah. And then at a moment he's, like, you know, because he's too cool for all of it and he's above it all, but the reason he's still in school is because it means a lot to his dad. But it's not delivered even with the, like, important that I just delivered it. It's just there and you understand him or like Odega Rush, who's the popular girl she becomes friends with. Like you understand who she is and that she has this life and her aspirations are to be a mom. And like, it doesn't judge a single character in it, which is just so overwhelmingly generous. And I can't remember a film that is that open hearted. It, perfectly captures what it's like to go to Catholic school, which I can also relate to. Um, I love the scene where we've seen her and her mother clash many, many times and her ladybird struggle with being poor or relatively poor. I mean, right. lower middle class probably, which I also relate to. I went mm-hmm. to a school, a high school in particular with a lot of very wealthy people and they had their own cars and stuff like that. And like, I was lucky to have the days that I could borrow my mom's minivan. Like I didn't have my own car. Like I felt all these things and I felt the shame about my home and where I came from and the what, which sucks. And from the time I was like 10, I wanted to move to New York and I live here now. And, um, you know, I definitely, my mom is divorced. I wish she had a husband. I wish my dad was his greatest trace in less in this movie, which we'll get to. Um, but you know, my mom lives by herself now, and there's this scene where Lady Bird skips Thanksgiving to go with her boyfriend to his family Thanksgiving and then hang out with her friends. And she comes home, and they're high in the kitchen, and you almost expect her mom to have some sort of confrontation about her being high because you've seen them clash over and over and right. over. And instead, her mom is super sweet about it and doesn't get mad at them and sort of smiles. But then as she walks out, she says, we really missed you today, Lady Bird. And there's this sadness. I'm tearing up right now. But, like, in that moment, especially because Laurie Metcalf is so good, like, all I could think about is my mom. And, like, I know it's hard for her that I live so far away. And we see each other so frequently. Like, it's funny. And you compared it to a comedy. And it's 100% a comedy. But I think I cried the hardest at this movie. It's profound in its ordinariness the way it handles depression sure um which tracy Letts' character her father is suffering from and the character has only recently found out i also love how unaware like greta gerwig fleshes out every character and we see these peripheral characters we see their interior life but ladybird purposely does not Mm-hmm. Or she struggles to see yes. it. Yeah, yeah, And I love that that is part of her development is that she doesn't see the things there. And so she's only recently found out her dad has been laid off. And she asks her mom, like, is dad depressed? And her mom says he has been for, like, several years. And Lady Bird doesn't understand that because she thinks it's just about losing the job. Right, yeah. And her mom explains, like, a job is just a job. That doesn't necessarily define whether you're happy or not. Like, it's just... Ugh, it's so generous and so real. She also juxtaposes scenes so beautifully, which I didn't notice until the second rewatch when I could actually like look out for it. But we see the scene of Ladybird making out for the first, like kissing Lucas Hedges for the first time at homecoming and having this like seminal high school experience of the high school dance yeah. and like 
falling for someone and being so elated. And then the next scene we see is Laurie Metcalf and Tracy Letts, her parents, talking about how they're going to pay the bills. And it's just the idea that while she is having this experience, this is the experience her parents are having, and she's completely unaware of it. Or there's this really... I'm spoiling it, so you better have seen this movie. But, like, (laughs) Lucas Hedges, she discovers he's gay. He comes to talk to her about it at work. And he totally breaks down about, like, I don't know how I'm going to talk to my mom about this. And she says, don't worry, I won't tell. And she comforts him. Which I remembered from the first time we saw it. The immediate next scene is with Stephen McKinley Henderson talking to Laurie Metcalf. And it's not quite clear what he's suffering from, whether it's depression. It could be that he's closeted, which is kind of how I read it, but maybe just because of how it's like mm-hmm. juxtaposed. And Laurie Metcalf asking, like, who can you talk to about this? And he says, no one. And you see this like empathetic, generous heart that we've just seen in her daughter. We see it in the mom. And these scenes are just... And it's not, like, overdone. It's not overemphasized. Yeah, it's not it's, showy. Yep. It's just such a fucking beautifully constructed script. I mean, every moment of that is great. And I, I could talk about it more, and I need to stop. <laughs> um, but I just want to say two things. One is when she is having the conversation with Lois Smith, and Lois Smith says, it seems like you really love Sacramento. And she, Lady Bird responds just by saying, I guess I pay attention. And Lois Smith says, isn't that the same thing? And I love the idea that attention is love, especially when it comes to our home and our parents, because attention can feel stifling. We pay attention to things that drive us crazy. And the idea that that is a form of love is incredibly beautiful and moving and profound. And then because he is a much better writer than I, um, and he also for the past two years has loved my favorite movie of the year, uh, A.O. Scott's review of Moonlight last year, like basically oh, yeah. put into words everything that I couldn't say about that movie. And he also <laughs> much more eloquently and much more succinctly put into <laughs> words what I loved about um, Lady Bird. But I'm just going to read you the end of his review. He said, I'm tempted to catalog the six different ways the ending can make you cry. I'll settle for one. The bittersweet feeling of having watched someone grow in front of your eyes into a different and in some ways improved version of herself. In life, it's a messy, endless process, one, um, which, one reason we need, which is one reason we need movies. Or to put it another way, even though Ladybird will never be perfect, Ladybird is. And it's just, I'm like in tears. It's the movie of my year. So you guys, please talk about your shared number one. Uh, tulip fever (laughs) the movie of the year um well i feel like you could throw a curveball all of a sudden i I assume my number one's call me by your name (laughs) which i think for many of the reasons you described Ladybird being so personal. I think yes. Call Me By Your Name is personal to us. Which is probably why Ladybird was my one and Ladybird was what you're for? It was our number three. Both of our oh, number both three. Three. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and all the reasons you mentioned about Call Me By Your Name and like feeling like we were actually there and we lived those experiences even though in some ways we maybe kind of did a little bit but in many, many ways we <laughs> definitely did not. It's, uh, it's an emotional... I mean, my first note is just, I mean, dot, dot, dot. Like, <laughs> you know, what, what you got? 
Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's very emotional. I think the... I don't know. I thought... For me, it was all about the silent, the the silence of the film, both mm. like literal silences and silent hearts and silent minds. Um, <laughs> it just it, I think it, I remember reading some pretentious ass from the New Yorkers review of this movie and how dare you talk about my work like that (laughs) (laughs) and to me it was like I was offended by the review because it felt like an attack on my experience yeah Mm -hmm. and an attack on me and I and that's certainly not how it was intended but whatever anyway um I don't I wouldn't expect anyone or be surprised by any... I wouldn't expect anyone else to love this movie or be surprised by people who hated it or didn't get it or... It just feels so, so personal. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I, like it... Which... It's beyond dialogue and even like concrete themes and philosophical ruminations. It's just like... It's hard to articulate. Visceral is mm-hmm. kind of the word that... Mm-hmm. It's inspired so much great writing online from different reviewers and yeah. just bloggers and what have you. Because it's really... I mean, it, it just touches you in some profound way that's hard to describe. For me, I know a lot of it is just like... The romanticism and like melancholy that like... Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind captures, which Ooh. is one of my favorite movies. Me too, like yeah. that, it's like it's better to like the end of that movie with Kate Winslet being like, okay, like even though we know we don't work, it's better to just do it. Let's yeah. fall in love. Let's experience it. Let's live this this moment. Let's feel these emotions. And it's the that, arrival thing too, where absolutely. I know that this is going to be pain, but it's worth it. It's worth doing, and that this experience is profound and affecting, and it's such a moment in Elio's life and we feel that and we feel like we have experienced that I mean <laughs> yeah. I definitely did not in my growing up but yeah. it feels like I did it's I mean it's, it's hard for me to talk about because I did have a like weird affair with Army Hammer, Army Hammer. right well, who didn't in Italy only I think he was the 17 year old because I'm definitely older than him oh yeah that's that's crazy <laughs> crazy to think about I think it's such a smart adaptation just uh, I haven't read the book, but that it's very clearly a story on the page that's from the one, the Timothy Chalamet, the Elio character's perspective, and that it's an adaptation they made without any voiceover. And yes. So, I mean, it's visually stunning. Of course, the cinematography is great, just in capturing the summer fling of it all and the Italy and how beautiful the locations are but also just the emotions and the inner lives and the subtext and the conflict within all the characters and just the looks like every single shot is held like a second longer than you would expect it to be yeah but because it is it's so purposeful I think it's undeniably the best direction of the year I think Luca Guadagnino it's Mm -hmm. so personal to him as a 
director to mm -hmm. the story and you can feel that in every frame and every single moment it's ugh, it yeah. is it is a gorgeous i think beautiful sensual sumptuous <laughs> like one of the things i loved most about it was how <clears throat> old-fashioned isn't really the word for it but like it didn't it wasn't like a groundbreaking film style like it, mm. you know it was it was like very romanticized and it is kind I mean, of like old fashioned meets new euro yeah, yeah yeah i mean it's like i wouldn't call I mean, it's, it it's uh, what's his face as a screenwriter yeah james ivory yeah. old as dirt james ivory yeah. <laughs> i love you james ivory <laughs> and i think like the fact it, it's kind of like in the clouds a lot of the time as much you know it has concrete details for sure and it's very specific and it's very intimate but in a way that like god's own country is like about tilling the earth and throwing up from too much alcohol call me by your name is about like you know exploring the inner workings of your mind and, and throwing your up from heart. too much alcohol <laughs> yeah but, but like but it's just so much less rooted but doesn't feel that way yeah it feels mm as resonant and as immediate despite how kind of like fanciful it is i mean it's a summer in italy like it, about young love it's not it's not a war movie it yeah. is actually but that's another podcast <laughs> but <laughs> anyway i love I it as a that line that it told was pretty Great. as like a double feature with Lady Bird and that they're both kind of coming of age which is yeah. a hard it's really hard it's to... a hard period to live through and it's a hard thing to recapture right and that they both do it with such empathy and authenticity and honesty and it clearly resonates with people it's and also I mean like unselfconsciousness it's really hard I feel like to know that you are the lead of a movie and not want to be the hero or likable or the person that the audience is rooting for. Like, it's hard to show that sometimes we all are assholes <clears throat> and to, like, lean into that. Yep. Amen. It's a real achievement. Yeah. I don't even know what else I can say. It's just incredible. Well, and I think we was... had some consensus top choices. Yeah. There were some real gems in 2017 despite the year being a bit of a garbage fire and a bittersweet ruin <laughs> definitely uh, but thanks for listening we will have a companion podcast to this that has our top performances of the year which some of which we've touched on briefly but many of which come from films we didn't necessarily love it's true there were a lot of this movie this year of films that I liked but didn't love <laughs> so stick around or just press next on your and look for iPhone. our dvd box set at your local target with call me by your name and ladybird the two best movies of 2017 obviously <laughs> thanks for listening cheerio adios bye